0: This podcast will be a little shorter. I know I say that a lot, and it ends up being pretty long, but I think it'll be a little shorter. There's just a a couple things uh, I want to talk about today. Obviously, there were a couple big trades that happened uh, in Major League Baseball as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. That is now what 11 days away as I'm recording this. It's crazy. End of July is rapidly approaching, Uh, and then, uh, as always, uh, on Friday episodes, I will end the podcast. With just a little NASCAR discussion, they are up in Loudoun this weekend at New Hampshire. Uh, the stretch run, really, for NASCAR is about to begin. They don't have many races left, but I will once again leave that until the end of the podcast because I know not everyone is uh, is a fan of NASCAR, so that's why it is at the end. Just some housekeeping things I want to talk about before we move on. You can listen to this podcast on, right now, several different services, you can listen to this on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Castbox, Google Podcast. Hopefully in the future we get it on other services. I'm really hoping to get it on Google Play Music um, pretty soon. That's the, that's the next one that I have in, in my sites. Uh, for a full list of that, you can go to a couple of different locations to see the full list of services that my podcast is offered on. You can go to, as I've said before, anchor.fm slash Ryan Waldus Sports Podcast. To see the full list of services and subscribe from there. You can also go to my link tree, which I just put together a few days ago. I believe I did it on Monday. Basically, all you have to do, there's two ways to do it. You can either go to my website, click on the podcast tab, and it'll bring you to there. You can also go straight to the link. It is linktr.ee slash Waldis. And my Linktree, along with having the list of services that my podcast is currently available on, it also has a link to my website. It has a link to my social media pages, so you can give me a follow on there and connect with me. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty nifty thing uh, to have, especially in this day and age. I think it's a really neat, uh, it was really innovative. Um, the, the Linktree people over there, uh, I think, did a fantastic job. Um, and it's just, I don't know, I love it. It's just a great way to just keep everything in one central location that way. Uh, it's, just, it's just easier for people to connect. And by the way, be sure to connect with me on, on social media. As I said, I would love to uh, increase the interactivity aspect of this podcast. So if you ever have any questions, you want me to talk about something that I didn't talk about yet, just whatever you want me to do, be sure just to connect with me on social media. And I would love to be able to uh, to get that interactive level up. I would love to interact with the listeners because at the end of the day, listeners are the main reason why I'm able to do this podcast. And I appreciate every single one of you that has listened to an episode of this podcast. It truly means a lot. Y'all will never understand. But let's get into the podcast today. As I said, we will talk about baseball before moving into NASCAR. So baseball, Uh, The big trade was made official. The last time I did this podcast, I talked about a trade package where Machado, Manny Machado, would go from the Orioles to the Dodgers. And in return, the Dodgers would send three prospects back. Now, that prospect package proved to not be true. Uh, As I said during the podcast, uh, after I spent 30 minutes going through uh, the prospects, um, there was a snag in the deal. uh, as reported by Steve Phillips. So I was like, uh, by that point, I was like, okay, well, the next time we do this podcast, uh, I don't know, maybe he will be on the Dodgers, maybe he'll be somewhere else, maybe the prospects will have changed, I, I don't know, we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, and the prospects, uh, they did change from that from that reported prospect package. One of them stayed the same, Justine diaz was still the, the centerpiece of the offer that sees now Manny Wood 2.0, of course, 10 years ago in 2008, Manny Ramirez was traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers, and now in 2018, Manny Machado has found a new home in Los Angeles for at least the next couple of months. I think it was interesting um, for the Dodgers GM. He said that, you know, this is just about 2018 for us. Uh, We hope that Manny is able to uh, establish a good market for himself after his performance. So I, I thought that was interesting. I think as a GM, I think it's what you want to say, right? Um, but uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see if the Dodgers try to re-sign him after this season. As I said, there's a scenario where they can re-sign him uh, and their lineup would be uh, very dangerous if they are able to re-sign him. But uh, at the same time, uh, I feel like maybe their money would be better put to use uh, in some other parts uh, of that team. So I'm interested to see, uh, as the GM said, uh, it's 100% true. This is about 2018 for them. This is now this team, if it wasn't already, this is now World Series or bust. Uh, their, their window is obviously still open, and it will be open for a while with all the young talent that they still have in their, in their minor league system. But this is about 2018. They're coming off of a World Series loss to the Astros in seven games. So they're going to try to hopefully, they're hoping that this Machado acquisition, it pushes them over the top. Uh, I'd say right now they are the favorites in the National League. Um, without Machado, uh, they were still a very good team, but I think now this really cements them as the favorites in the National League. Um, but, you know, there's the Brewers can still do something at the trade deadline if they want. The Braves, the Phillies, all these teams can still do something at the trade deadline if they want to. Um, I don't know if they're going to be on the level of a Los Angeles at this point, since they just got Manny, but uh, they can still do things to, to try to compete, because at the end of the day, all that matters is that you make the postseason, and then, you know, things can, whatever happens, happens. Things are... You know, MLB postseason, that's one of the reasons why it's so much fun to watch. You know, even for casual fans, so much fun to watch because you never really know what's going to happen. So uh, the Dodgers definitely are the favorites, and they gave up a prospect package of what ended up being five prospects. Uh, I'd say maybe four prospects and one uh, uh, Sueto prospect, I think, would be fair. So Diaz got traded. Uh, we, I talked about him in the podcast on Wednesday, July 18th, so I'm not going to go through him again. So I think the the biggest, the most intriguing part of this new prospect package uh, is Dean Kremer. So he's a 22-year-old pitcher. Uh, He throws right-handed. He stands at 6'3", 180. As I said, he's 22 years old. He just turned 22 in January. He was selected in the 2016 draft in the 14th round by the Los Angeles Dodgers, then he uh, obviously has pitched pretty well. This year, he started in high A um, with the Dodgers high A affiliate. He started 16 games there. He tossed 79 innings. He had an ERA of 3.30 and a FIP of 3.03. He had a pretty solid strikeout rate of 35.5% and his walk rate was at 8.1%, so that's a uh, you know that's pretty good when you have a, a strikeout rate of 35% and a walk rate of 8%, that's that's a pretty solid thing. His strikeout to walk ratio 4.38. Uh, he was only walking close to you know under 3 batters per 9 innings and striking out 13. And it's interesting, the the thing with Dean Kramer that uh, has a lot of people, you know, kind of like okay, this guy could turn into something. It's when you watch him pitch, you know, he doesn't really have the the arm speed to where you think, oh, okay, this guy's going to blow it by everybody and he's going to get a ton of strikeouts, you know, this, that, and the other. It's because, uh, as Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs says, he has a really good spin rate. It's, it's actually higher than average, uh, it's been described. Um, and basically what that allows him to do is it allows him to pile up all these strikeouts um, even though you, you really wouldn't uh, expect him to. So you take a look at just his base statistics this year. Um, in high A, I should say, he walked 26, but he, he struck out 114. Now, if you can do that at the major league level, you're going to be a pretty solid pitcher no matter what. Now, he was just promoted, actually, to the, the Dodgers' A affiliate. He started one game for them. Uh, he went seven innings, uh, and he did not let up a run. So it was it was a good start for him in his AA uh, debut uh, I imagine the Orioles will probably put him with the Bay Sox, which is their double-A affiliate. I can only imagine. Um, but this is a guy that I think he's—he's he's really intriguing. He's a guy that I would love to have. Uh, if I'm a—if I'm a GM, I would love to have a guy like this in my in my minor league farm system. Uh, I really think that. So his ceiling. I, I really think that he could be a middle-of-the-rotation starter. I think his floor is probably that of a 4 or a 5 just because of, you know, how much guys he's able to strike out. It's not like his control issues are, are insane. Like, as I say, he's walking about 3 guys per 9 innings, but that's not you know that's not awful, uh, and, you know, that could definitely improve. But I really think that this guy could be a really solid middle-of-the-rotation arm for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I, I don't know when he would be up. I think, you know, in, in a couple of years, this is definitely a guy that could— that could see some time for this Baltimore squad as they kind of transition now from the from the Manny Machado era into now they're you know they're probably gonna uh, get rid of their manager Buck Walter's contract ends at the end of this year so they're gonna get rid of him they're gonna bring in someone new I imagine someone younger that really likes analytics and all that uh, I'd like to see what they're gonna do with their front office I think that'll be interesting as well but I think this kind of you know kickstarts that four to five year process where the Orioles are gonna be towards the bottom but they're gonna be acquiring all this young talent. I think Kramer's definitely a, a good start. Obviously, uh, they get Diaz, but I think Kremer is number two uh, in that in that prospect list. I think he's gonna be a real and it's. I said it on, on Wednesday, the Orioles, they need pitching. The, the one thing they need more than anything, it's the one thing they needed for about two decades now, is, is pitching. It's 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 been very rare for them to, to develop good, young, starting pitchers. I mean, Dylan Bundy was supposed to be that guy. Kevin Gossman was supposed to be that guy. They've had guys that were supposed to, you know, buck that trend and, you know... Kind of put to rest that that stigma of oh, Baltimore can never develop these young starting pitchers. Bundy Gossman, uh, et al., uh, They were supposed to. They were supposed to get rid of that. Uh, but now it's you know clearly that didn't happen either. So it, I think Kremer. It's obviously you're kind of being optimistic about this if you're an Orioles fan or just a baseball fan in general, but I really think Kremer can kind of start to break that trend. He's a nice guy to have in that minor league system, and I really think that he's going to be, you know, is he going to be an all-star? Uh, it's, you know, that remains to be seen, but is he going to, be, can he be a solid major league pitcher for the, for the Baltimore Orioles when the time is right? Absolutely. And I think that's why, obviously, Baltimore did not get the guy they wanted in Dustin May, but they, I think they get a nice solid alternative in, in Dean Kremer. The I think the the number three guy in this prospect package, and this is I think he's more intriguing than than Kremer in some aspects, just because you know am unknown isn't the right adjective, but there's there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding what this guy can actually be, and his name is Ryland Bannon. He is also 22 years old. He can play second and third base. He stands at 5'10", uh, 180. He is, as I said, 22 years old. He just turned 22 uh, in April, so three months after after Kremer. Uh, he was drafted in the eighth round of the 2017 draft, so just one year ago, by by the Dodgers. He started this year at high A, so in 2017 he played a rookie ball this year. The Dodgers put him up to, to high A. Uh, he had 403 plate appearances, and in those 403 plate appearances he slashed 296, with a four oh two on on-base percentage and a five fifty nine slugging percentage, and that was good for a WRC-plus of 159. He had, so far, 20 home runs and 61 RBI. He was striking out 25.6% of the time, but he was also drawing a walk 14.6% of the time. Now, these, I, I should stress that these numbers, they should, I, I don't think taking them with a grain of salt is the right way to describe it, but you, you need to understand that, uh, especially in the high A league that the Dodgers play in, it's it's very hitter friendly. The California League, the balls fly out of those sparks, especially at this time of year. So I, I think that it's important to understand the context of the slash line and the you know the batting statistics that Bannon has been able to. To accumulate thus far through just his second professional go-around, you take a look last year what he did in rookie ball. Uh, he had 336 with a 425 OBP, a 591 slugging percentage. That was good for a WRC plus of 142. And once again, WRC plus. I'll explain it for people that maybe aren't familiar with it. It's a better understanding of how runs are created and where you know offensive production comes from. So the the league average is 100. So if I say that Bannon has a WRC plus of 159 this year, it means he's 59% better than the league average. So I, I think it's the thing with him defensively. Uh, I think that's the, the biggest question. Um, I think most people can have said that he can probably be, uh, you know, it's, he could be adequate. Uh, I think he can be, you know, average. Um, I, the, the main thing with Bannon is, is offensively um, his, I think his mechanics are a little questionable, but uh, I think that they can definitely play at the major league level. His ceiling is probably, you know, uh, a lower in the order guy, uh, but uh, I, you know, it's more than likely, I feel like he maybe becomes like a utility guy, but uh, he definitely does have that potential to to be a contributor in in a major league lineup, which is definitely what the Orioles need. They also got a couple of other uh, less notable names in this in this prospect package from from Los Angeles. They get a guy named Zach Pop, twenty one years old. Uh, he was born on September 20th, 1996, so he's not going to turn 22 for a couple more months. He's a right-handed thrower. He sits at 6'4", 220 on the mound. He was their seventh round pick in that, in that 2017 draft. He started last year, obviously, in rookie ball. He pitched five innings in five games, and he did not allow a run. This year, he started with the Dodgers mid-A affiliate. He tossed 16 and a third innings. His strikeout rate was 34.8%, but his walk rate was 10.1%. You really don't want to see that um, if you are, you know, if you're a fan. He was walking close to four guys per per nine innings, but he had an ERA of 2.20 and a FIP of 2.70. He was recently promoted to their high-A affiliate, and he has tossed 27 innings in 19 games. He had accumulated seven saves uh, he had in a sparkling ERA of 0.33, although a FIP of 2.88, which is still solid. Uh, he lowered the walk rate in his promotion to high A with uh, a 6.2% mark. He was striking out 23.7% of the batters he faced, and he was holding them to a 146 opposing batter's average. Now, I don't think this guy's ever going to be- become some type of uh, elite reliever. I, I don't think he, you know, he really has... That uh, I'm trying to think of how to describe. I don't think that he has not necessarily the stuff, but I just don't think that's how he he projects. He kind of has, you know, he has the, the solid velocity. It's, you know, it's in the mid 90s. But it's just he doesn't have that that second plus-plus pitch that most of these elite relievers need. I think if everything goes according to plan, you could maybe use him in some high-leverage situations. But I don't think he's ever become elite. More than likely, I think he's probably just going to be uh, another one of those solid middle relief pitchers that, if nothing else, are consistent. But that that's fine. It's a it's a lottery ticket prospect, and in a deal like this, you're gonna get a few of those guys. So uh, it's I think that Pop was you know he was a solid addition. I think that in you know in a couple of years, uh, I'm sure we'll see him up in the in the with the Orioles organization. And as I said, if nothing else, he can probably become uh, you know a consistent bullpen piece. Is he ever gonna become let? Uh, I don't want to say closure, but is he ever gonna be the guy that gets out like the best hitters in your lineup? No, he, he just he doesn't have that that type of repertoire, but can. But can he come in, you know, in the fifth, sixth, seventh innings and, and do what you need him to do? Yeah, he can definitely do that for, for sure. I think if everything goes according to plan, he could definitely do that. The final guy the Dodgers got in this trade was a 26-year-old tweener uh, in bravik Valera. Uh, he turned 26 in, in January. So the big thing with Valera, so he was actually acquired by the Dodgers uh, after Seager went down. He was acquired because, you know, obviously he you, you wanted some – some depth, just in case. And uh, with their AAA affiliate this year, he's done pretty well. Uh, he's has 284, 350, 433. That's good for WRC Plus of 104. Uh, he has six home runs and 25 RBIs. He had a 9.4% walk rate and a 9% strikeout rate. Uh, he had a brief cameo in the major leagues last year with the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, he had 11 plate appearances, and in those 11 plate appearances, uh, he slashed 100, 182, 100. Uh, and this year, he also had another brief cameo with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He appeared in 20 games, had 34 plate appearances, did not do much better, just hit a $1.72 with a 2 on-base percentage and a $1.72 slugging percentage. So it's, uh, you know, it's... I, I say he's a tweener because he's done well before uh, in, in AAA, but it just, you know, and obviously it's, it's been a small sample size, but it, it's just a question of can this guy contribute consistently at the major league level, and I don't know if he can. He has a pretty solid hit tool. Fangraphs has it graded out at a 55, so he's kind of reached his potential, uh, I think, um, so... It's with him, the thing is he can hit, but he doesn't have much power. He doesn't have much speed. He can play a a solid defensive, you know, second base, third base, but it's, that's, that's about it. Uh, It's, I I even question whether or not you would want to call this guy a lottery ticket, because I don't think that's, that's fair. I think we kind of know what he is at this point, but if nothing else, it can be solid depth for the Orioles, especially now, Um, they're going to. They're going to need some guys like this over the next couple of years uh, as they kind of transition from, from the older veterans that have been on that team for a while uh, as opposed to what they're going to have now. So I'm sure is going to get his shot with Baltimore. I don't know when. I don't know um, if the Orioles are going to want to start him at a AAA real quick. I did not read into that, but uh, it's. I'm sure we're going to see him at some point this year. I'm sure he'll definitely be up in September, and then I'm sure he'll probably be on the roster at some point next year it's, you know, it's, he's not a lottery ticket. He's just, it's, he is what he is. Uh, Some people call these guys quad A ballplayers in that they do pretty well, AAA, uh, enough to warrant a promotion to the major leagues. But then once they get to the major leagues, it's, they don't have the tools that you would kind of need to survive there, which is why, you know, they're, they're 4A ballplayers. That's, you know, if there was a 4A league above AAA, it's probably where they would be. Uh, But it's, it, you know, I, I think considering the circumstances, this was a, a pretty good return for the for the baltimore orioles i forget who said it i think it was jim bowden of the athletics uh he said that he talked to gms that were in pursuit of of manny machado and they all said that they could not put together they did not put together uh, it's not maybe they could not they did not put together a prospect package that was uh, as rich as the one that the dodgers sent over to the to the orioles so That kind of interests me, Um, one, because apparently the Brewers had the second-best offer, so I'd be interested to know what they offered. Also, because as a Phillies fan, uh, outside of Sixto Sanchez, uh, we were willing to offer it seemingly anybody. Um, So I I feel I would really love to know what some of these teams had offered for Machado that was uh, supposedly not as good uh, as what the Dodgers offered. Because if these GMs are saying that they cannot put together a prospect package like the one the Dodgers sent, that I'm interested to know who, in fact, they wanted to send over. But as I said, I think this was a good return for the Orioles. You kind of have to understand that if they traded him at the winter meetings, they would have gotten a better return, but they didn't. The Orioles tried to compete this year, and we saw that with signings like guys like Alex Cobb. They've really tried to, you know, compete this year and hope that they could put something together. They couldn't. They're one of the worst teams in baseball, and now it's only going to get worse, but (laughs) It's funny. I saw this on Reddit. Machado um, obviously was the offensive leader for the Orioles. He led in every category outside of stolen bases, which is Craig Gentry. I think he has 10. Uh, and now since Machado is gone, the, the offensive leaders on that team are a little a little. It's rough is, uh, I think, an understatement. Uh, the highest OPS on the team right now since Machado is gone is 736. Uh, I think the highest on base percentage is 311. Uh, so the off- people will kind of wonder, oh, how much worse can it get for the Orioles? I, it's going to get a lot worse this year. I, I'm really invested to see how many games this team loses now that Machado is not in that lineup. But it's, it was a good kickstart for this rebuild that the Orioles have needed to do for, for a couple of years now. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. And of course they still have guys on that team that they can trade. They can trade Zach Britton. Uh, they can, if they want to, they can trade Adam Jones. I don't know what they would get for Adam Jones, but if they want to, they can trade him for maybe, you know, another lottery ticket type prospect package. But it's, it it was a good, it's a good, it was a good trade for Baltimore. Would they've gotten more for him in December. Yes. Did they get a good return for him, uh, for only two months of his services? Yeah, they did. I think this is about as good as you could possibly expect the Orioles to get, um, for only having Machado for a couple months. So it's a, g- a good job by that front office. Uh, you don't really say that a lot about the Orioles' front office, but it was a good job by them. And for the Dodgers, obviously, they, get, they got Manny Machado. They got the best player on the market, on the trade market, so it's World Series or bust. If they don't win a World Series, obviously this all went for naught. But if they do and Machado contributes, then you could say it was a it was a good trade. And even if they don't win the World Series, I still think you could say it was a good trade because the Dodgers have such a wealth of young talent down on the farm that this is something that they can afford to do and something that few other teams obviously could afford to do. So that was the major trade that happened. The other trade that happened was uh, was a day ago. It was a day later. Uh, it was reported by Ken Rosenthal. The Indians traded for some bullpen help. This team needed bullpen help. They needed it badly. They've had one of the worst bullpens, not only in the American League, but, but in all baseball. So Brad Hand and Adam Simber go to Cleveland, and in return, San Diego gets one of the Indians, or essentially the Indians' top prospect, and one of the top prospects in all baseball in Francisco Mejia, the catcher. So first of all, you take a look at the at the Cleveland Indians. Uh, the bullpen, as I said, has has not been very good this year. Uh, it was obviously supposed to be better. It was supposed to be strength, but it has not gone according to plan. You take a look at a guy like a Cody Allen this year. He has made 40 appearances. He's pitched to and earned run average over 4.6, although his FIP is at 4.28. A guy like a Zach McAllister has an ERA closer to six than to four. Dan Otero has an ERA at 5.6. Tyler Olsen has made 30 appearances. He has an ERA of 7.50. Even Andrew Miller, before he got injured, was not doing very well. He had an ERA of 4.40. So the entire bullpen as a whole was was really struggling. Uh, if you take a look actually at the stats, it's, it's almost laughable how bad this this bullpen has been. But I think you, you obviously bring in a guy in Brad Hand and Adam Simber both, uh, you know, Adam Simber right now is 27 years old. Brad Hand is 28. Both are going to be under team control for for a little bit, um, which is, I think, important for the Indians and why they gave up Francisco Mejia. So they're going to be able to help out this bullpen for a while. You take a look at Brad Hand. So everyone knows he started off with the, with the Miami Marlins. They used him as a starter uh, initially. That didn't work. So then they kind of used him uh, as a, a starter and a reliever. Uh, to the point where his final season with Miami was 2015. He pitched to a 5.30 earned run average. He appeared in 38 games. He started 12 of those games, and he finished seven of them. So he was eventually, he found himself in San Diego. People didn't really know what to expect. And since then, he's become one of the best relievers in in all of baseball. His first year in San Diego in 2016, he pitched to a 2.92 earned run average, and he increased that or he got better uh, next year in 2017 as he pitched to a 2.16 earned run average uh, and a FIP of 3.03. And he's kind of continued it this year. While the ERA uh, is a little higher than it's been in recent years at 3.05, the FIP is right in line with what it has been. This year has 65 strikeouts to just 15 walks. He's on pace to pretty much do what he did last year when he had 104 strikeouts and 20 walks. So he'll have... I say maybe a, a handful more walks than he did a season ago, but Hand is one of the best relievers in baseball. He's under team control for a few more years. And you also get a guy in an Adam Simber, who I did his name did not come up uh, a lot when I was looking at some of these trade rumors, which I was surprised about because in forty-two appearances, he's been a very reliable reliever for the for the San Diego Padres. He's pitched to an ERA of three point one seven. He struck out fifty-one while walking only ten. He's only let up two home runs on the year. He's tossed forty-eight and a third innings, and his FIP uh, it's it's even better than his ERA at two point three two. He has a 5.1 strikeout to walk ratio, he's striking out close to 10 guys per nine innings. It's he's it's another solid piece for him. The Cleveland needed all the help they can get in the bullpen, especially if they want to try to compete this year to get out of the really tough American League. Because in, the, the Indians, we talked about it before, they're obviously going to win their own division, but after that, it's going to be a little difficult to compete with the Houstons and the Bostons and the, the Yankees. Uh, and obviously, one of them is not going to get out of the wild card. Well, I can't say that, but... One of them is going to be in the wildcard game, so they have a chance to not get out of it. Um, but you're still going to have to compete with them. Uh, I think that you, you definitely needed to to get these bullpen pieces, and it's now it's you, you've built the bullpen to the point where uh, you take a look at it. You you get Hand and Simber. You're hoping that when Miller comes back, he pitches like you've like you've come to expect. Miller obviously has become one of the best, one of the more elite relievers. Uh, in baseball during his time. We we kind of saw it when he was when he was with the Red Sox towards the tail end of his time with them um, because he was never really good with the Marlins. He goes to the Red Sox. His first year wasn't great, but then he really turns into something else. Then he finds himself in Baltimore, then in New York, uh, and then with Cleveland, he's become one of the best relievers. Uh, he had an ERA under 1.6 uh, in 2016 and uh, 2017. Uh, so it's, he's become a very good, he, he's received Cy Young uh, award votes over the past, he finished 10th in, in 2015. He finished 9th in, in 2016. He's been a two-time All-Star. So I think if you're the Indians, you're kind of hoping that Miller returns to that because if you can get Miller, Simber, and Hand, not in that order, but if you can get those three guys on, then it's, it's going to be tough to beat that team in October, especially when you have starters like Trevor Bauer and Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco. If you pair up that trio and you pair them up with an Andrew Miller who's elite, a Brad Hand who's elite, and Adam Simber who's reliable, if you get Cody Allen back to what he's done in the past, that's that's a scary pitching staff that you have to face. And obviously the offense has to hold up their end of the bargain. But with, with guys like Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez you know, leading the charge, that's... That's that's a scary. I'm not gonna say it's a spooky team, um, but it's that's a scary team to face in October. And you know, are are they the most? Are they more talented on paper than Houston or Boston or the Yankees? No, probably not. But well, I can't say probably not. They're definitely not more talented on paper. But it it's it's a team that can compete in October. And as I said in the in the opening to the show, as soon as you get to October. That's all that matters. You get there, you have a shot. No matter what, you have a shot as long as you make it there. The Indians are going to make it there, and they're going to have as good of a shot as anybody else in the American League. So its I'm really interested to see what they can do. its It kind of came out of nowhere. I know the Indians were looking for relief help, but this trade kind of came out of nowhere. So I'm interested to see if they maybe try to make one more trade for, for another bullpen piece uh, or if they're just going to be content um, just stay, staying pat. As for what they traded away, they traded Francisco Mejia away to the to the San Diego Padres. Uh, and with that, Francisco Mejia was the 15th overall prospect in, in Major League Baseball. And now he joins uh, a very, very intriguing San Diego Padres farm system that is among the best in all, in all of baseball. A.J. Preller, since he took over, has done a phenomenal job. In acquiring young talent. So as I said, they have now 10 of the top 100 Major League Baseball prospects. Obviously, Fernando Tatis right now is at number 3. Now, he just got injured in the game last night, but I think he'll be okay. He stands at number 3. At number 13, you have Mackenzie Gore. 15 now, Francisco Mejia. 29, Luis Urias. 32, Cal Quantrill. 33, Michael Baez. 42, Adrian Morgan, 75, Anderson Espinosa. 95, Chris Paddock. And then 97, Logan Allen that's that's a you want to use the word spooky that is a spooky prospect list now are all those guys going to pan out and reach their ceilings Nah, you know it never happens like that but if you can get even a few of those guys to hit and then you're obviously going to get you know the the stories out of nowhere the prospects that come from out of nowhere and contribute it's the San Diego Padres I've been telling people this for a while the Padres are going to be a very good team very soon that's why they go out there and they sign Eric Hosmer and they get guys like Will Myers they're they, when they're gonna be this this team is gonna be very good. I don't know if it's gonna be you know in in a year or two from now, but I'd say by twenty twenty, this is gonna be one of the 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 best teams in the National League for for sure. So I'm I'm really under, interested to uh, to come back to this podcast in two years when the Padres are not, and it's like oh look at this idiot what he's saying. But Mejia, you you look at him as a prospect. He was the Indians' number one overall prospect. It's a guy that has a really really good hit tool. Uh, he has a 60-grade potential hit tool, uh, according to – and as, as always, I get these grades from Fangraphs because I trust them. A 60-grade potential hit tool. It's at 50 right now. A power of 55-grade. I've seen some people say it could be upwards of 60. Uh, game power of uh, 50-grade. Speed, uh, it's not – you know, it's it's average at best, uh, potential 45-grade. Uh, you know, fielding-wise, it's a 45-grade, but he has a hell of an arm, uh, an 80-grade arm there behind the play. Future value of 60. Which is which is great. That means you're going to be uh, at least an above average regular, if not if not better, this year with the Indian AAA affiliate. He has hit 279, 328, 426. He's at seven home runs, 45 RBI. He's drawn a walk 5.4% of the time. He struck out 17.3%. He always wanted to remain at catcher, um, and the Indians they they tried to they wanted to try him out at some different positions. He said no, I want to be a catcher. Uh, and the Padres have already said immediately, like almost immediately after they got him, they said, "Listen, but is going to be a catcher here," which is interesting. So I'm interested to see what they do with Austin Hedges. But uh, Mejia, that's what's that's it goes to show the value of elite relievers in you know today's MLB. The fact that you can trade hand and and, and Simber and get back a prospect in a Francisco Mejia. It uh, also goes to show the fact that the Indians have such a solid farm system. They can afford to part with a guy like Francisco Mejia uh, to, to get two of these two of these really good relievers. It, it really says a lot. But Francisco Mejia to the San Diego Padres in return for Brad Hand and Adam Simber. I think it was a good trade for both sides. The Indians clearly needed a bullpen help. The Padres had that. The Padres still have some solid bullpen pieces like a Kirby Yates and a Craig Stammen that could be traded to other teams as well. But it's, it was a good trade for both sides. The Padres continue to, to add to their impressive prospect pool. And the dads, definitely, they will, they will be good here uh, in a couple years for, for sure. The other thing I wanted to talk about with Major League Baseball, and this is something that happened uh, a couple days ago. I probably could have talked about it Wednesday. But it's this whole thing about, uh, about marketing uh, in, in, the, in the sport. So it all started uh, when Rob Manfred said on Tuesday that, uh, it's, he said it it was about Mike Trout. And this whole, this has been a a, a story for, for a long time about how Mike Trout, he's the best player in baseball, but you know, do people really know that? Uh, it's, it's, he doesn't really score well uh, with popularity. If you ask, so like, if you ask the casual person who LeBron James is, they're going to know who LeBron James is. If you ask the casual person who Mike Trout is, it's, you're going to be hard-pressed to, for the majority of them to say, oh, yeah, I know Mike Trout. He's this really good baseball player. Uh, and it's just it's a flaw of the way MLB markets its players. So Manfred said, Mike has made decisions on what he wants to do, doesn't want to do, how he wants to spend his free time or not spend his free time. And he said this before the All-Star Game started uh, on Tuesday. I think we could help him make his brain very big, but he has a decision to engage. He has to make a decision to engage. It takes time and effort. Uh, so essentially, um, without really saying it, Manfred was kind of throwing Trout under the under the the bus. Right? He was kind of saying that it's it's it was it's Mike's fault. It's Mike Trout's fault that he's not being marketed well and that baseball is not as popular as it could be. This, that and the other. So it's as a commissioner, that's a that's a hell of a stand to take. Like if you're gonna take a stand on something, that is a hell of a stand to to take. It's you know, to to kind of essentially blame your best player that uh that it's it's his fault that he's not being marketed well and then it, then it it goes until it, the angels released the statement it said oh the the angels have released a statement on mike trout and part of that was uh, and i quote we applaud him for prioritizing his personal values over commercial self-promotion that is rare in today's society and stands out as much as his extraordinary talent um which i think that and it's That's true. Like you take a look at a guy like, like Bryce Harper, right? And this, uh, I can't stress enough. I'm not trying to, to single out players. I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to be, you know, rude or anything, but you take a look at a guy like Bryce Harper. This is a guy who's like like, all these Gatorade commercials and Under Armour ads. And he's got like the, that pretty boy look, right? He's got like the hair and then like, it's the, you know, he's, he's, he's marketable, right? Like it's his look, the aura around him, he's marketable. Uh, You take a look at a guy like Mike Trout, right, it's it's part of it is because, you know, it's he doesn't I'm trying to think about how to put this slightly. He doesn't have that or about him. It's not a bad thing. Like I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing, but he doesn't like you see what Mike Trout does off the field. Right. And we've seen more and more stories about this come out recently after this all came out. He's always trying to, you know, appeal to appeal to the kids. He's always signing autographs before the game. I there was that there was the uh, I forget who said it. it was someone from ESPN that posted some pictures. He brought this kid out uh, at Camden Yards when the Angels were in Baltimore, he brought the kid out onto the field from, you know, from the stands and he'd let the kid warm up with them. And he gave the kid his bat and he like took a picture, this, that, and the other. He's all, he's just, Mike Trout, he's, he's a baseball player. He just wants to, he wants to be a great teammate. He wants to do really well on the, you know, on the field. And he wants to look really good off the field. You know, it's, he's, it, it, when he's not, playing baseball he's always out like in his community doing doing these different things he's all it's he's a great guy he's he's one of the I think one of the best guys you could ever hope to have on not just a major league roster but any professional sports team he he's one of those great guys but apparently Rob Manfred doesn't like that according to Rob Manfred uh the issue is that it's Mike's fault that he's not being marketed well um and you know, there's some truth to that, right? Like if Mike Trout really wanted to, he could he could go out there and market. But at, at at the end of the day, I think it's kind of it's kind of grimy to say it's your best player's fault that he's not being marketed well and your sports not being marketed well. Uh, as the commissioner, that's that's up to you. And Mike Trout released a statement after this. So first it was Manfred, then the Angels fired back, and then Mike Trout um fired back as well. Well, I wouldn't say fired back, Mike Trout. Extremely humble guy. He said, "I have received lots of questions about Commissioner Manfred's recent statement. I am not a petty guy. I'm going to really encourage everyone to just move forward. Everything is cool between the commissioner and myself. End of story. I'm just ready to play some baseball." Um, and that's 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 what you would expect from from a guy like like Mike Trout. So then it it evolves into something that Lance McCullers just said on Sports Radio six ten. Um, it's, I don't know. I, he might've said it this morning. He might've said yesterday. I don't know. Uh, I think he said it yesterday afternoon. Uh, so McCullers, uh, he said during, uh, okay. So it was on the morning show. Um, as I'm, I'm glancing at this now, uh, for sports radio, six ten. It's the, uh, it's one of the sports radio stations down in Houston. He said, quote, we have the worst marketed league in my opinion of the three major sports leagues. In the United States, now I'm glad he said the three major sports in the United States, because I would have said that the NHL is a lot worse at marketing their players and their teams than Major League Baseball is. Um, But to go on, uh, as I get a FanDuel notification on my phone, I'm going to flip that over. Uh, I don't know why that is. I think that the other sports leagues understand that the product that you have, the more people are interested in that product, especially, it's going to sell. I think that the MLB for a long time has just always believed that baseball is sell because it's baseball and I think that's starting to catch up to us. Uh, and which is something that I agree with, right? It's you know, there was the time when baseball was like, oh, it was it's America's sport and there's nothing better than just sitting down during the summer listening to the game on the radio, watching it on TV, there's baseball, there's nothing better. And now in, in recent years, I use recent um, you know, lightly, um, I'd say you know maybe over the past 10, 15, maybe 20 or so years, it's been overtaken by the NFL. It's been overtaken by the NBA. Um, it, it hasn't been taken over by the NHL, but you're going to get to a point, I really think you might get to a point where it gets overtaken by soccer. Um, I There's there's a really good chance of that happening at some point in the near future, despite people not wanting to think that that will happen. Uh, so I think that McCullers has a point in saying that it's the, it's the same kind of mindset that the NHL seems to have. Like McCuller says, oh, baseball will sell because it's baseball. I think hockey kind of has that same mindset. of, Oh, hockey's going to sell because it's this beautiful sport that's so much fun to watch, especially in person. But even on TV, it's a lot of fun to watch too. So it'll definitely sell. We don't need to market, which is, which is clearly false. You, you need to market this. I, I want to say this for the NHL um, as, as I go off on a tangent. They don't market anything. So they had the one outdoor game a year, which was the Winter Classic, and now there's, like, 50 of them a year. Um, so that that's mistake number one, and they don't even market those. They don't market their best players. They don't market the playoffs, and they definitely don't market the Stanley Cup playoffs. They don't send out – it's – You know, it's funny, you'd think that the biggest event of the year for you, the Stanley Cup Finals, you'd wanna you know, you'd tell Gary Bettman, Oh, hey Gary, that's this is gonna be a really good matchup in the in the Stanley Cup Finals. We should really try to, you know, get some commercials out there, get some, you know, ad or whatever, ads or whatever you wanna do, and really try to market this, really try to get some more fans' eyes on it. It's like, no, that's fine. They'll they'll figure it out on their own Uh, (laughs) that's that's not how you grow the sport number one number two you're not going to get the exposure that you're expecting which is why you look at the ratings you're like okay i thought these would be better going back to baseball McCullough said i think that's why you saw more phones out at the all-star game that's why you saw more interviews they're trying to have these players become actual people to the fans versus just players in baseball there's so many games there's a lot of players 25 of us it's hard to make every single individual person their own brand it is tough and it's I, it's, uh, that's, it's true with that too. And I think it, it goes back to the main issue of baseball as opposed to other sports with the NFL, it's on every Sunday and you're watching a ton of games with baseball. It's regional, right? So like during football season, there might be, a, I don't know, let me think of it. There might be a, a, a Packers and a Vikings game on Sunday at, at 430, um, in the afternoon. And it's the national game on Fox, right? So I don't have anything else to do. I'm going to watch that. Right. Because it's this it's, it's this game between two divisional rivals. Um, so, I'd, you know, I'm, I'm going to watch that. Right. Uh, whereas if it's, you know, a Sunday or, you know, whatever day of the week, um, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch the the Brewers and the Cubs play a game. Right. It's just, I'm not going to do that. Like, if, if I really am bored, yeah, sure, maybe I'll turn it on, but I'm not going to go out of my way to look up a stream and watch the Brewers and the Cubs play a game in June. Right. It's, it's different. And it's to the point where it's just baseball is such a regional sport, most, more so than I think any other sport, uh, any other of the major sports, because, you know, I, I'll go out of my. I'll go out of my way. And I'd say a lot of other people will do this too. They'll go out of their way to watch, you know, that Packers Vikings thing. They'll go out of their way to watch the Warriors play the Rockets. But it's there. I don't think people are going to go out of their way to watch the, you know, the Dodgers play the Diamondbacks, or they're not going to go out of their way to, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, even the Red Sox and the Yankees. I don't think people are going to go out of their way to, to watch that if they're not a fan of baseball. Um, But it's, it, baseball is so regional. Like as a Phillies fan, I'm going to watch every Phillies game, right? Like if it's, it, you know, it's on TV, I'll turn it on or I'll get a stream up on my computer and I'll watch that game to it's, it's different with baseball though, because I'm going to do that. Someone out in Montana, isn't going to try to just always try to stream every single Phillies game. I, I'm not going to try to stream every single Oakland athletics game, right? It's just, it's, it's such a regional sport. So I, I think, it, the part of it is because we, we need to make baseball less regional than it is. We need to. It's and I don't know how you do that, right? Like I'm not in the position of power to you know give out all these suggestions, but it, it you gotta find a way to make baseball more of a national sport because re- you look at the ratings. The regional ratings are fine. The national ratings, it's you know the, you could you know give or take, but it you need to make it to where more people around the country are interested in your sport, not not just their team. Um, and McCullers goes on to say, uh, social media is a big part of it, but some people don't enjoy that. I'm starting to get burned out on it. I'm starting to enjoy it less and less over time. So it was, he was responding to a thing about, oh, you know, you know, would social media help? And to an extent, social media helps. You see a lot of these guys, they build their brands, especially it's really interesting too, especially if they're not like really talented, but they, they build these really great personas on social media. So they become really popular. That's uh, it's another way to, to market the game in yourself. But it, as McCullers said, and a lot of these guys kind of share that same viewpoint. It's just, it gets tiring after a while, and it's like uh, you know, we've seen people start on social media and then they don't touch it, you know, for for years. Um, so it's I think that McCullers definitely has a point. I think that. Okay. So McCullers, uh, there's one last thing I want to talk about this. He said, so he offered some advice. He said, the overall league needs to do a better job like the NBA has done in marketing its players, going on worldwide tours, taking certain players that aren't just the two or three biggest names in sports, taking everyone. Uh, This would let people understand that this is what baseball is about and would allow everybody to get out there versus just a certain few and that's something the MLB is going to have to work on. And it's, hes right. The MLB is going to have to work on this. This isn't something that there's there that Manfred and his his guys—it's not something that they're just going to be able to accomplish overnight. This is going to be something that's going to take a while to to accomplish. But i, I feel like there's, you know, they got—they have the players, they have the personalities, they have the talent. It's—they have everything they need. You just have to figure out what exactly to, to do with it. Um, so it's just, I I don't know. I wanted to touch on that. I think it's important to talk about marketing major league baseball. It's been a question for so long and now it's really come out to the forefront once again, after Manfred said what he did about trout, uh, and just, you know, everything. So I felt it was important to, to touch on that, but to, to end the podcast, if you listen to this point, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, and I will see you again on Monday, but to end the podcast, we will talk about some NASCAR. As I said, I always like to end the podcast with NASCAR on Fridays to preview their weekend's race. So they are at New Hampshire this weekend. They are at Loudoun. Uh, it's it's getting close to the close to the stretch run. So including Loudoun, there are now seven races until the playoffs begin. You have Loudoun and followed by Pocono, and then that's the rest of the races in July. Then you move on to August. There are five races uh, on August 5th. They're going to be at Watkins Glen, which is the road course. Then they're going to go to Michigan on August 12th. They have the night race at Bristol on August 18th. They are going to be racing Labor Day weekend at Darlington. And then they will be at Indianapolis to end the regular season. Indianapolis now this year is the final race of the regular season. They're trying to increase because the racing at Indianapolis, it's not really that uh, exciting. So they're trying to, uh, I think they're going to try a, pa- a different package this year, but they're also trying to increase um, you know the, exciting, the excitement factor by having it as the last race before the regular season uh, ends and before the playoffs begin but uh, it is Latin in this week so if we take a look here at the at the standings uh, Kyle Bush Uh, right now is is your leader. He has 799 points. He has five wins. Kevin Harvick is is second in the standings. He also has five wins. Martin Truex Jr. is in third. He's coming off of a win at Kentucky last Saturday in a race that was not extremely entertaining. He has four wins. Joey Logano right now, uh, just in terms of the points, is fourth. He has one win. Clint Boyer uh, is locked in right now. Uh, He has two wins Eric Jones is locked in. He has a win. And Austin Dillon, he's the final driver that is locked into the playoffs. He has one win as well. That came in the first race of the year at the Daytona 500. Eric Jones, of course, just won uh, a couple weeks ago at, at Daytona. So right now you have seven drivers currently locked into the playoffs in Kyle Busch, Harvick, Truex, Logano, Boyer, Jones, and Dillon. So there are still playoff spots uh, up, for, up for grabs, right? Um, so we are at New Hampshire this week. And it's, it's I don't know, so it's a it's a one mile oval. Uh, it's so it races like a short track. Uh, it, it's the racing. It depends how big of a race fan you are. I usually enjoy the racing at New Hampshire, um, just because it does kind of race like a short track. But it you know it's not it's not for everyone. So just uh, once again, I'm going to take some statistics from Chris Myers' website, ChrisMyersSports.com. He has a really nice um, layout of stats here um, before before each race weekend starts. So you look at, you know, who maybe the favorites are for this weekend, and I'd say it's kind of probably it's going to be I'd I'd be surprised if a Toyota doesn't win. It's just Toyota has really dominated this track recently, and especially Joe Gibbs, uh, although Martin Truex Jr., obviously he's with Furniture Row. uh, So he's he's going to have a shot at it. Um, You take a look at how good Martin Truex Jr. has been. Um, recently here at at New Hampshire. So of the last four New Hampshire races, Martin Truex Jr. has led 513 of 1,202 laps. So that is he has led 43% of the laps uh, over the last four New Hampshire races. You talk about Toyota dominating, they have, out of the last four New Hampshire races, they have led 1,168 of those 1,202 laps. So that is, Toyota has led 97% of the laps uh, of the last four New Hampshire races, so That's why you take a look at these Joe Gibbs guys, guys like Kyle Busch, uh, you know, guys like a Denny Hamlin, Daniel Suarez has looked good at New Hampshire recently, Eric Jones is going to have a shot, the 20 team usually, you know, they they bring a good card to, to New Hampshire every year. So the Joe Gibbs boys, they're going to be right there at the front. Martin Truex Jr., he's in the Toyota with Furniture Row, he's going to be up there at the front. So it's, I'd be surprised if one of those five guys does not win, uh, this weekend at, at New Hampshire. It's the first Sunday race you've had in a couple weeks. Uh, this is a Sunday afternooner. Um, so we take a look here at some more New Hampshire, uh, stats. So the last New Hampshire race, Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. led 299 of the, of the 300 laps, um, at, at that last New Hampshire race. Uh, he finished Kyle Larson, I should say it's, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be at the front. He finished second in both of the New Hampshire races last year. He's finished in the top 10 three straight times. Barton Truex Jr. has two straight top five finishes. Joe Gibbs Racing won both of the races last year. Denny Hamlin won the July race, and Kyle Busch won it in September. There have been nine winners from the front row um, at New Hampshire, but only one of them has occurred in the last 11 races, and coincidentally, that was Kyle Busch um, last year, last September. Uh, one winner from the poll in the last 13, that was also coincidentally Kyle Busch um, last September. Uh, the leader of the most laps has actually failed to win six of the last seven New Hampshire races. Uh, and Mark Truex Jr., he has actually led the most laps in two of the last three races there at Loudoun. Uh, and and those races, he finished seventh and third, respectively. Um, so I, I think... Uh, it, this is going to be a good opportunity for a guy like I think a Denny Hamlin to to get a win and lock himself into the playoffs. Right, he's comfortably in right now in terms of points, but a win here would definitely uh, would definitely help. Because if you reach the point in the schedule or if you win, you're definitely in no matter what. So Denny Hamlin, uh, if he gets a W, uh, it's it's a good opportunity for him, uh, I think. But you know we could also see a guy like a Daniel Suarez maybe because I said the Joe Gibbs cars they are they've been very good here the Toyotas. So I think Daniel Suarez will also have a good opportunity to to take home. To to take on a W, he's done pretty well uh, in recent weeks. You go back to Sonoma, he's finished 15th, 11th. He crashed out of Daytona, but he finished 15th at Kentucky. Um, you go a little further back, he finished 30th at Michigan, 24th at Pocono, but he finished 15th at Charlotte. So he, he's had a solid season this far. Right now, Suarez is 20th in the standings. Um, so it's he's he's right there, but he's he kind of needs a win to to get into the playoffs um, at this point. You take a look at the rest of the things because in fifth. He's kind of comfortably, and he's not mathematically in points-wise, but he's, you know, he'll make the playoffs. Um, he's just not mathematically in yet. Uh, a win obviously would be nice for him just to, you know, get those get those playoff points. But um, he's he's to me right now. He sits in fifth. Kurt Busch is at seventh uh, in the points. Kyle Larson's at eighth. Denny Hamlin right now is at ninth, but a win would still help him out. Ryan is at tenth. He's still looking for his first win of the year. Eric Almirola in his first year with Stuart Haas is in 11th. Jimmy Johnson 12th. Uh, Eric Jones is 13th in the points, but he already has his win. Chase Elliott is a 14th in the points. And then your cutoff right now is Alex Bowman. He is last in the in the, in the the playoff grid uh, as of right now. So he has 427 points. Uh, he is in that cutoff spot. He is the last driver in that does not have a win Ricky Senhouse Jr. right now is nine points behind Alex Bowman. Paul Menard, I said, you know, points-wise, he, he he was in a little bit of a sticky situation, but he kind of got—a lot of people got help because Bowman finished 39th at Kentucky last Saturday. So this kind of helped a lot of drivers, especially you look at a guy like a Paul Menard. He finished 11th. So now Paul Menard, he is, what, uh, 23 points now behind Alex Bowman. So now Paul Menard has a shot. Ryan Newman— uh, is he's, I'd say Paul Menard is probably the last guy that has a shot to make it just on points alone. Cause after that, you're all look, you're looking at guys that are way too far back. Um, so I think you look at the guys bela- behind them. Ryan Newman kind of needs a win to get in. Suarez needs a win to get in, in the playoffs. McMurray needs a win to get into in the playoffs. William Byron's going to need a win to get in. AJ uh, Almendinger's going to have to hope that he can get a win at, uh, Watkins Glen. That's probably going to be his best chance. Chris Busher would need a win to get in. So those those are the guys you're looking at right now that they would really need a win to to do anything. Um, but the, the the only guys that can really get in on points at this point that are not in the playoffs are Stenhouse and, and Menard. Um, but yeah, as I said, the the Toyotas are going to really I think dominate at New Hampshire. Uh, I'd be surprised if a Joe Gibbs car or a Truex does not win uh, at New Hampshire. But I've been wrong before, obviously. Um, so we'll we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a, a competitive race. Uh, I think it'll be. You know, for the casual fan, will it be fun? Uh, I, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to it for, for sure. But that's all I want to talk about today on the on the Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast, the Fry-Yay edition uh, on July 20th. Be sure to catch me again next Monday. As I said, we're probably trying to do this like at least, you know, three days a week. If it's more, that's great. Getting closer to the start of my NFL preview, I'm going to have some of the homies come on to talk about their teams. That will be starting pretty soon uh, in August. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. hope you guys are too. But I said, I'll be back next Monday to talk about the latest in the world of sports. Just some housekeeping tips uh, here at the end. You can listen to this on iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, Google Podcasts, and more. Just go to anchor.fm slash Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast or go to my link tree at linktr.ee slash Ryan Waldis. You can also go to my website and click on the podcast tab, and that will also bring you to my link tree. You should also check out my website at RyanWaldis.com and connect with me on social media. Uh, As I said, I would love to raise the interactivity level of this podcast. So if you have any questions, you want me to talk about something I have not yet hit on, definitely let me know. I will definitely be sure to talk about it in the next podcast. But once again, thank you for listening to the podcast, not only today, but for the past three weeks. And I will catch you again next week for week four of the Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening.